morning uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. But before we get there, kids, um, what do you do when you can't find something? Hmm. I know when I was a kid and most kids I know, when they can't find something, what do you do? Mom, <laughs> have you seen... <laughs> right? That's usually the go-to, right? For, you know, first, just, just ask mom because, you know... And, uh, and if, if, if she doesn't know, then maybe you might ask dad. Um, and then if he doesn't know, then you're really in big trouble, right? Because so then, then you start looking feverishly for it. You look all over the place, right? And depending on how valuable it is or how much you need that certain thing, you are going to look really, really hard. Well, I remember a time when I lost something valuable Mrs. Price and I, Megan and I, were living in D.C., and we went to watch a PGA Tour event at the TPC Potomac at Avenel Course. Some of the greatest golfers in the world were there. No Tiger Woods that year, but Phil Mickelson, Greg Norman, Ernie Els, some of you guys are going, who in the world are those guys? Those are old people. Jim Furyk. <laughs> and we had our camp chairs with us. We set up on the, uh, on the second uh, hole right on the fairway, right where all of the drives were landing so we could watch them hit their second shots into the green. And we were so close that Greg Norman hit his shot just off the fairway. We could literally reach out and touch him. That's how close we were while we were there. It was a, a fun day. We were right there. We were We were watching all these great golfers. And as they all passed us, we got up and went to move to a new spot to, to watch uh, some more golf. And as we, were moved, as we were leaving and walking away, I realized I wasn't wearing my wedding band. I started looking everywhere, all through my pockets, everything I could f- figure out, could look for, and my wedding band was gone. I didn't want to tell Megan, but finally I did. She's like, what's wrong? I said, I lost my wedding band. Um, I won't tell you all the stuff that went into the conversation after that, but (laughs) I took her home and I started calling every rental place that I could find in the greater D.C. area, trying to find one that was, one, open because it was late Saturday afternoon, and two, one that had a metal detector. I finally found one. We lived in Bethesda. I found one almost all the way up in Gaithersburg, if you know the area. So I jumped in the car, and I you know, went as fast as I could because they were getting ready to close. I got there, got the metal detector. Then I went back to the golf course, and I walked up to the event center, and I said, would you mind if I went on the course with a metal detector? And they looked at me like, what's this guy? You know, what weirdo is? I said, I lost my wedding ring. They were super uh, nice about it. They let me go out. I spent what seemed like hours looking for this thing. Because, I, I mean, I had a general idea where, where we were sitting, but everybody was gone. There was nobody, nobody left there to tell you, give you any idea of where we had been sitting. So I'm back and forth, back and forth, and suddenly I hear, and I found my ring. I was ecstatic. I was so happy. I called Megan and told her. I went back to the event center and I'm like, you know, I'm telling them, hey, I found my ring. I found my ring. I'm telling everybody I've, I passed along the way, I found my ring. They're all looking at me like, yeah, whatever, you're weird. Um, but I found this ring, something very valuable. 
to me. There was much rejoicing. You know, Jesus tells two similar stories in our passage this morning, reminding us what it's like when we find something valuable that has been lost, right? We think we all have, on some level, maybe not as valuable as a wedding band, but we've all lost something of, of value that we look, that we've searched for. Maybe sometimes we've found it, maybe sometimes we haven't. And he uses this experience that many or almost all of us have, and he gives us a picture of an even greater rejoicing that takes place in heaven when someone who is lost spiritually is found. So let's read Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these parables of Jesus. Lord, that use experiences that we have had and remind us of an even greater joy. Lord, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series in Luke. Two weeks ago, we were in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. And just as Jesus did earlier in Luke's gospel, he says at the end of that passage, those who have ears, let them hear. So we ask ourselves, do we have ears to hear what Jesus has been saying? Will we listen? Do we have ears to hear what discipleship is really like? And are we willing to bear that cost? And we saw from that passage that because Jesus bore the ultimate cost, we can bear the cost of discipleship. We saw the cost of discipleship and we saw what calculating that cost looks like in the life of a believer. This morning, Luke shows us in our text who has ears, right? He shows us who Jesus is talking about, right? At the end of chapter 14, he who has ears let to hear, let him hear. And then Luke begins chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to what? Hear him. 
We are reminded of Jesus' parables of those great feasts in chapter 14, the hospitality of Jesus for those who know their need, right? Those who know their need have the ears to hear. Those who are humbled by their sin and know they are helpless apart from Jesus. And in the context of Luke's gospel, we know that the sinners are those who aren't righteous like the Pharisees and include the poor, the disabled, the lame, and the blind, And many of you know this, the tax collectors were despised. But they were a whole other category of sinner. Even centuries before the time of Christ, tax collectors were universally hated. Cicero insulted an opponent by saying that he must have imagined himself a tax gatherer. Quote, since you most thievishly ransacked every man's house, the warehouses and the ships, entangled men engaged in business with the most unjust decrees, terrified the merchants as they landed and delayed their embarkation. Cicero didn't have any room for tax collectors in his society. And in Jewish culture, they were considered turncoat Jews, those who had sold their souls to buy Roman tax-gathering franchises so they could prey on their fellow Jews. They were loathed in every imaginable way. And so the stage is set. Right? The Pharisees and the scribes and the tax collectors and the sinners, the stage is set for three of Jesus' most famous parables. The three parables here, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son all have the same theme and all point to the heart of God and the rejoicing that takes place when the lost have been found, each with slightly different focus. So this week we look at the first two, which brings us to an important question. Who are we? You've heard me mention this before, when particularly in the Gospels or in narrative in, this, in Scripture, we ask ourselves, who are we in the story? We're not Jesus, I'll give you that. Right. <laughs> who are we in the story? Which group best describes what we need to hear this morning? Which group best describes what you need to hear this morning? Are we those who have ears, like the tax collectors and sinners? Do we come this morning looking to, longing to hear Jesus? Or are we more like the Pharisees grumbling because Jesus doesn't meet our expectations or pays attention to the wrong people? So I ask us again, who are you? Are you lost? Are you the lost sheep? the lost coin. Do you need to know that Jesus is seeking after you, looking for you? If you've been found, are you a rejoicer or a grumbler? So we see in our main point of our passage today, if, if we have been found by Jesus, we must be rejoicers and seekers. These two parables essentially have the same structure pointing to the same truths, and so we'll just kind of go back and forth between the two. And we're going to look at the seekers 
and the rejoicers. If we've been found by Jesus, we must be rejoicers and seekers. We're first going to look at the seekers. See, Jesus tells this story about a shepherd, a shepherd that goes and looks for one lost sheep. He is a, a flock of a hundred, which was at that time would have been a, a fairly good-sized flock for an individual to own, meant that they had some means. They had these, this economic value of a hundred sheep, and the one has been lost. And it has so much value and worth that he leaves the 99 and goes and gets the one. Right? This shepherd, they're out in the fields, so there's likely other shepherds there with them. The shepherd, as he's doing his daily or nightly count, realizes that there is one missing. He probably asks his shepherd buddies, hey guys, can you watch these 99 while I go get the one? And so he goes and he seeks out this lost sheep. He seeks and he looks until he finds it. He keeps going until he finds it. He does not come back without this sheep. Earlier we read from Ezekiel 34. God condemning Israel, the leaders of Israel, for not being the shepherds that they were called to be. The leaders of Israel, the teachers of the law were considered the under shepherds of the true shepherd God, but they were failing in their task just as their ancestors and Ezekiel prophesied against had done. And God promised that he would be the true shepherd that he would be the one who would seek those who were lost. And when Jesus came as the one good shepherd promised through Ezekiel, he places himself as the good shepherd, as the one who's speaking in Ezekiel chapter 34. And he uses this imagery, right? I mean, the image of the shepherd, of God being the shepherd of his people is throughout the Old Testament. Right, Psalm 23, one of the most famous songs, the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah, who talks about the shepherd of God's people being God himself. Of Ezekiel, who God prophesies through the prophet that he will be the one who will be the good shepherd who seeks those who are lost. And so Jesus is not only just describing himself, but he's also describing the failure of the leaders of Israel. Right? He's basically saying, look, you're okay with the flock of 99. You're okay with those who look to be righteous, who look to be those who are following God's law. You're okay with those. And who cares about that one that has left the flock? But Jesus says, your job as a shepherd is not only to care for the 99, but to go and seek the one who has been lost. the one who has wandered from the flock. And he says, when the shepherd finds 
this sheep that has wandered from the flock. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders, picturing the tender love of God in Christ Jesus. Right, this lost sheep is more than merely a piece of livestock. It's more than merely just a financial aspect of this shepherd's holdings. This shepherd loves this sheep. This woman has lost a coin. In the Greek, it says drachma. We're not exactly 100% sure what that represented, but many believe that it was one day's wages, which means this was likely a, a, a poorer woman who had lost this one day's wages. You can imagine what it would have been like to all of a sudden realize that you have a full day's wages that has just been lost, right? The way that you would use to care for your family for that day has, been, has just seemingly disappeared, Right? I, I'm not exactly sure what that would look like in today's, you know, kind of uh, laborer type of view, but probably like $100 to $150 is just suddenly gone. And she searches. She looks everywhere. She sweeps the house. She's trying. She's looking in every corner. She's got her lamp trying to look and see in all the crevices and all the cracks in the floor to see if she can find this coin. She's doing whatever she can to make sure she finds it. She seeks, she looks long and hard. You know, Jesus is reminding us that we all begin as lost sinners, right? Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. Romans 3, 10 and 11, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. But God seeks us. God is like the shepherd who goes to the mountains, to the valleys, into the thicket, even into the lion's den to find the lost sheep. God is like the woman who tears apart her house looking for this valuable thing that has been lost that will care for her and her family. He tears it apart looking, searching, seeking. As one commentator states, with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. He tracks us down. And when he finds us, what does the text say? He rejoices. Right? The shepherd rejoices and lifts the sheep onto his shoulders, right? He bears the weight of the lost sheep who, can't have, who doesn't have the strength to return to the flock on his own. 
He rejoices as the woman rejoices and calls all of her neighbors to come and rejoice with her. He brings the sheep home. And all his friends and neighbors rejoice along with him. When he tracks us down, hoists us on his sovereign shoulders, we know that we are loved. We believe and repent. He bears our sins and he bears us home as even the heavens ring out with joy. Then those who've been found, those friends of Jesus, are invited by Jesus to, to rejoice along with him and to be those who seek as well. Many commentators believe that in these three parables, Jesus is showing us of something of the Trinity. The son who's the shepherd, good shepherd who seeks the lost sheep. The father of the lost son in the third parable. And the woman with the lamp, the light of truth, the Holy Spirit, seeking the lost. And in Scripture, the woman with the power of the Spirit at work in her is indeed a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, being called as those who have been found to be those who seek the lost and rejoice when they have been found by Jesus. We're to be seekers as those who have been sought. We're to be rejoicers as those who have known our own rejoicing. You see, when the sheep is found, the shepherd rejoices. He brings him home and the people rejoice with him. When the woman finds the coin, she calls everyone she knows and says, rejoice with me. You see, this is a picture, Jesus says, of what happens in the heavenly realms just as those friends and neighbors would rejoice with you here on earth for what has been lost and been found, so much more goes on in the presence of the Father. And God the Father rejoices in the presence of his angels when the lost are found. You can almost see there's laughing and congratulating, hugging, dancing. It's this picture of great excitement and rejoicing. It is a party taking place. The people of God, of God along with the angels are those who are to rejoice. That is our calling, to be rejoicers and not grumblers. Right? We are to rejoice that Jesus is showing us right here from the beginning. We are to be those who rejoice in what has been lost that is now found. We are to be rejoicers, not grumblers. 
And it's hard to do sometimes. You might think, well, of course, we rejoice when people, you know, when they come to faith in Christ, we rejoice over that. Of course we do. Well, why weren't the Pharisees rejoicing? Why weren't the Pharisees and the scribes rejoicing that all these people that they thought were outside of the kingdom of God were being welcomed by Jesus? Why were they grumbling? Why were they grumbling? They should have been rejoicing too. It's sometimes easy, easier to grumble than to rejoice. And there's different reasons for that. As I said earlier, is it because Jesus hasn't met your expectations? Is it because rejoicing that other people are, who are lost or found means that there's less of Jesus for you? Many weeks ago, we talked about how we often think of the kingdom and the blessings of the kingdom as, as limited and finite, and yet Jesus says they are overflowing and abounding for all who believe. So who are the ones that we see as our modern-day tax collectors? Right? Who do we see in our culture as those who are robbing society and culture. Because that's what the tax collectors were doing. That's why they were so hated. Who do we view in our culture the same way? Who are the sinners that we look down on? What if our church was known so widely and so much for the love and compassion of Jesus that those groups of people started showing up. However you answered those two questions about who you personally view as modern-day tax collectors or who are those that you tend to maybe sometimes look down on as those sinners, what if they started showing up What if they were sitting in the chairs next to you? Would we rejoice or would we grumble? Would we think of all the ways that they might influence us and wonder why they're being welcomed by others? Brothers and sisters, in a culture that is so divided, that is an immensely important question for us to answer. Would we be rejoicers or grumblers if they, fill in the blank, showed up? You know, it wasn't unheard of in first century Judaism that God would welcome repentant sinners. 
It wasn't unheard of. The great New Testament scholar C.G. Montefiore said that that was a understood application of God's Word, right? That God would welcome and accept repentant sinners. But what blew their minds, what should blow our minds, because quite frankly, that understanding is what every other world religion believes, that God will accept you if you come to Him and seek His acceptance. But that's not what our God has done. What was revolutionary to them and should be still revolutionary to us is that God seeks sinners. That the good shepherd goes to find them wherever they might be. That the woman equipped with the lamp seeks every corner, every crevice of the house until she finds it. That is not a God that is known, was known then, or is thought of today outside of Jesus Christ. The Father, Son, and Spirit, the Holy Trinity, seeks and saves the lost. That's what God has done. And how has he done this? Right, the prophetic answer of Ezekiel rings out throughout the centuries. I will place over them one shepherd. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant. We prince among them. The prophet speaks of that servant being David. Well, we know that David was long dead at that point. But who is the greater David? The greater good shepherd, right? David was the shepherd king. Our Jesus is the greater shepherd king, the one who came to seek and save the lost. It was through Jesus, the good shepherd, that God the Father would seek the lost, that he would carry us home on his shoulders, home to his Father, to our Father. May those who have been found and brought home to our Father be joyful seekers of the lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who seeks and saves. Lord, that you do indeed welcome us, but you welcome us because you have gone out and found us. And you have brought us home through your Son and the power of your Spirit. Lord, as we've been welcomed as we have rejoiced for being found. May we be joyful seekers.
of the lost. Pray this in Jesus' name.